Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 299 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are coming to you on Wednesday, March 24th. There was some Duke news that dropped late this afternoon involving the likely departure of one of our players. But before we discuss it, Donald Wine here, your host tonight. I have Jason Evans and Sam Klein here. Jason, good evening. Hey, I may be, um, I may be unusual <laughs> on this podcast. So I had uh, my brotherhood at my temple had a had a uh, the brotherhood the men's seder tonight. I know that Passover doesn't start till this weekend, but we did it early. So part of our tradition is we do a lot of alcohol tasting. They 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 gave me four like like there's two shots in each bottle of these different liquors that we were drinking all night. I got a little bit of a buzz. <laughs> so guys, so Jason's analysis <laughs> is going to be Jason's analysis is going to be crack this evening. Yeah. Oh yes, it's going to hey, be awesome. And there's a there's a rum. Oh my god, this is so amazing. It is, oh, it's so good. It is outrageous. <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, I, I also you also heard Sam Klein. Sam, good evening to you. I'm drinking my third seltzer of the day, so I am <laughs> wired. <laughs> I'm on water. Yeah, drink a lot of water these days. I've just got but, I've just got water and natural flavors. I don't know what's in these things, but they're good. Yeah, natural. Uh, mine was natural water. So uh, let's get into the news that we're here for. Late this afternoon, Duke basketball announced that Jamin Brakefield, the freshman forward, will enter the transfer portal and is leaving Duke. We had just talked on the last show about the transfer portal and how there's so many players that are taking this option with the ability to play somewhere else immediately and also with the free year eligibility due to COVID. And we anticipated that Duke would eventually be affected by this in some way. We now know that that effect is now Jamin Brakefield opting to enter the portal. Before I bring you both in, I want to read the quote quickly that Jamin had in the press release that Duke basketball put out. He says, the opportunity to be a Blue Devil meant the world to me, and I want to thank everyone I met in my time here at Duke. The bonds I built with me will, will be with me forever. I couldn't have asked for a better group of individuals to be around during these unpredictable times, and I thank my coaches, teammates, and our fans for accepting me with open arms. With that being said, I have decided to enter my name into the transfer portal. I look forward to experiencing what God has in store for me ahead. So, Sam, I after hearing that, I want to start with you because Jamin, according to this statement released by the team, appears to be leaving Durham. And while he could return to Duke, you can enter the transfer portal and come back. It doesn't look like he's considering that option at this time. So give me your thoughts on what it means for Jamin to leave the program. No, and I, I don't see him coming back. Generally, Duke doesn't put itself in positions where guys are on the fence about things like this. If they decided to, to test the waters, quote unquote, they're going to the NBA draft. If they enter the transfer portal, they're transferring. And I think you can look at the roster for next season, including some of the potential recruits who are still deciding to come and see that there just isn't room for, there isn't really playing time next year for all of the wings and forwards that are going to be likely on this roster. And if Jamin Brakefield, look, we, we saw Jamin Brakefield have some incredibly productive games this season, especially when Jalen Johnson was out the first time with an injury. And then the second time when he left the team where Brakefield really showed that, that he belongs not just in division one basketball, which we certainly knew, but that he's a, he's a real high caliber ACC, you know, power five type player and, and deserves to be on a team that is competing for national championships and deserves playing time on those teams. So it sounds like he talked to the coaches. He's like, I want to play. I imagine this is his thought is I want to play 25 minutes a game next year. I'm not likely going to do that at Duke. So why don't I, why don't I take a shot somewhere else? It sounds like he's leaving in good standing. Everyone, everyone's uh, 
supportive of him. And so far, there haven't been any rumors about bad blood or anything. So I just think it's a matter of there are 13 spots on the roster. There are not actually 13 spots in the rotation. And and Breakfield feels like it's going to be an uphill struggle for him. Yeah. And and like you said, he's leaving in great standing. He was all academic ACC. So, I mean, it's not like he's not doing his work in the classroom. He was an, an excellent student by all accounts. He was on, on that team. Obviously, you have to do well both athletically and academically to make that team uh, with according to those standards and metrics. So, Jason, I, I go to you as well. And when you tell me about your thoughts, I want to start briefly with some good stuff about him. And uh, I know he averaged 3.5 points per game. He averaged 2.5 rebounds. But really, the one game that we will remember him for is his performance during the UVA game, right? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I, had, I, had, I looked back. Um, over Jamin's, you know, the game log of, of all his games. And I, and I searched in my own head for, you know, the, the big moments, clearly that UVA game, 29 minutes, 11 points, four rebounds, I'm sorry, five rebounds, four block shots against one of the top big men in the conference in Jay Huff um, in a game that Duke won by one point. Uh, it, there, there's no question, absolutely no question. Duke does not win that game against UVA, which was a hugely important game for us. We don't win that game without Jamin Brakefield playing, his best game in a Duke uniform. And look, there were other games. Uh, the game against Bellarmine early in the season, we went four for four from three. Um, the first game against Notre Dame, Sam alluded to this. Uh, when Jalen Johnson went out, we did not know what we would be getting. This was back when we thought, you know, Jalen Johnson was a, a huge part of what this team's identity would be. And, and he went out and against Notre Dame, um, it was Jamin Brakefield who came in and played 24 minutes, scored 10 points in that game, hit a couple three-pointers, uh, he had some really wonderful minutes for Duke this year, important, important minutes. And, and you could tell from Coach K's statement, Coach K was very complimentary of him. Uh, Donald, you read Jamin's statement, very complimentary of Duke. This is not bad blood. This is not a situation where a player is dissatisfied. This is simply math. And, and the math, I think, is pretty easy to see. And, and you could see this coming. Look, on this podcast, I said, just the very last podcast when we were talking about transfers, I said, I, I can't imagine that Duke won't be affected by this. And, and here we are. And, and getting back to the math, uh, Jamin Brakefield's minutes really dwindled down the stretch as Mark Williams exploded. And don't forget, Henry Coleman basically moved ahead of him in the rotation. You know, it was for a little while, it was that when Mark Williams wasn't playing, Jamin Brakefield was playing the five. By the end of the season, when Mark Williams came out, it was Henry Coleman that was coming in. And, uh, and, and the other part of the math is, Jamin Brakefield is a four or a five. Duke is going to probably lose Matthew Hurt. We don't have anything official yet, but very likely the Duke's going to lose Matthew Hurt from the ranks of the, of the fours and fives on the team. But we're adding Paolo Benchero. We are adding uh, A.J. Griffin, who, who, who's probably going to play a little bit, may play a little bit of four, not, not five, but play some four. We're still looking at Patrick Baldwin Jr., who's another guy who could play some four. We're adding more guys, more bigs than we are losing. And Jamin Brakefield was already at, you know, sort of the back of the line there of all those big men. I, I, don't, I don't blame him. And all of us can see a nice role for Jamin Brakefield down the line. You look and you go, wow, when that kid's a junior or a senior, he's going to be, he could be really great at Duke. But kids aren't willing to wait. And I don't blame them for not being willing to wait because part of waiting is an uncertainty about who else Duke's going to bring in. If he, if he was willing 
to wait another year. And you and you know, there are lots of Duke fans who are going to say, hey, he would have played 25 minutes a game as a junior and 30 minutes a game as a senior. You don't know that because you don't know who Duke's going to recruit. You don't know who Duke's going to bring in as a transfer. You don't know who's the next Paolo Banchero that Duke's going to bring in. Who's the next Zion Williamson that Duke's going to bring in. And that's and, a and lot to that's, that's why a lot I to think, ask of someone. That's a lot exactly. to ask of a kid to say, hey, wait, wait for two more years and you might get your turn. And, and, and we're in a, and sorry, really quick. And Sam go, we're in a society. We're in a point among these young basketball players where waiting is not the thing. Guys go to the NBA as fast as they can. If they're not getting what they want in terms of playing time, they transfer as fast as they can. It is not in the culture right now for a top 50 recruit like Jamin Brakefield to wait his turn. I wish it was, but it's not. And I don't blame him one bit. I'm really intrigued by Jamin Brakefield as a potential you know, NBA prospect, professional prospect, because he he kind of has this this tweener role. Like we saw it on this team, and you could envision it going forward. Really, depending on what kind of program he ends up in, where in in some you know rotations he is a he's a five. He's he's an undersized five, but he can he can play a little bit of center, and is definitely got that stretch element to him where he could be a four or even potentially a three if you're running. A particular offense, he certainly can defend the three. We know that, and we know that he's gonna he's gonna get better at that. What's gonna be interesting to me is does he develop enough in any of those areas to become real a real pro prospect? His his recruiting ranking coming out of high school was like in the forties, which would not tell you that that he's headed for the NBA. But he's athletic. He's very skilled in in a couple of ways, especially with the ball. I think he was a, a much better ball handler than we expected, especially for a guy his size and, and a guy who was sort of near the end of the bench. So I could see him developing in, in a really serious way in a program where he gets 30 minutes a game, which unfortunately, as we've said, is unlikely to be the case at least next year at Duke. Well, but but Sam, a guy in the 40s like that, there's a chance he develops into it. Like, it's not a sure thing. That's what I mean. And, and, yeah. But he has to be in the right scenario. And and for him, for Brakefield, I think, one, he has to have the ball a little bit more than, than he certainly would next year. And two, I think he has to get opportunities to defend other guys who are really athletic because a lot of his development, I think, is going to come from playing defense against the sort of guys that he wants to become and and running around with them and and, and sort of letting letting that rub off on him. And, and again, he's just not going to get the kind of minutes at Duke that would would let him get that kind of development. That's the key, right? Like playing every day is how he's going to get better. And he's not playing. He was going to get consistent minutes here. So it makes sense for him to try and test the waters and see where he can go, where he can get those minutes. So uh, I, I will say about Jamin, there is no doubt. I will leave with fond memories of him. We had a couple of games where we talked about him where he was just kind of that electric. I mean, they were trying to come up with nicknames for him because of how quickly he would come off the bench and do something really great. And, but it was going to be that UVA game that and one at the, at the end of the game that gave us the lead for good. And that snarl that he was celebrating with that snarl on the baseline, uh, that Duke basketball, uh, you know, captured in a great, great photo. That's going to be my lasting image of him. It was a, it was great while he was here. And I, I definitely wish, I know we all wish him the best of luck, uh, but it is, you know, one of those things where if he's looking for that time, he's got to go. There are not, Many, there are few, but there are not many guys who transfer from Duke and end up being, you know, huge impact players at their new schools, and and, and eventually make the NBA. I mean, Shami Ojale. I think Shami Ojale is probably the, the only like real, like recent example of it being like, oh, things really worked out for him. Like he's in the NBA and he's a productive player. Exactly. But I was going to say, 
I, I, I feel like there is a very good chance it does work out for Jim and Brakefield. His combination of uh, his size and athleticism with, um, with his outside shooting touch, I think given the right circumstances, he, he could really find a pro career future for himself. And, and, and I think we're, we're the three of us are in agreement. I, I'm not sure that would have happened at Duke. I think there's a better chance of it happen, happening elsewhere. I'm sad. I'm really sad that we're not going to have him, um, but, but I don't blame him one bit. Yeah, so we will see where Jamie Brakefield ends up continuing his college career. I know, as I mentioned, we all wish him the very best with what he decides to do uh, and that he ends up in a situation that he feels is the best for him, both academically and athletically. I think he will definitely do that. So we will pause real quick. Coming up, some new revelations from an upcoming book by a former UNC coach has some people talking, and we will discuss it after this. Gentlemen, we are back, and Matt Doherty, former UNC basketball coach, has a new book out. And in this book, there are some stories that have some people talking about what really went on inside the Carolina basketball program back in the early 2000s. So I'm going to turn it over to Jason to discuss what he's been talking about and what some of these stories have come, that have come to light. Jason? Yeah, there's a really good article um, in the North State Journal uh, about this Matt Doherty book. Um, I haven't read the book yet. I'll freely say that. Not sure. I, I'm not sure I will. But <laughs> uh, Matt Doherty's new book is called Rebound from Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons Learned. And um, most, most books like this, most books about leadership are about success. Matt Doherty writes about failure, <laughs> which is a pretty unique take on things. He, he wants to tell you about all the mistakes that he made, all the things that went wrong and what he learned from them, which is a, a very different take, like I say, than what you usually get. Um, and I, I just think it, it, it's a, the article I read was fascinating. Um, it, it had a lot of insight into the Carolina program. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at how much Matt Doherty was willing to perhaps throw people from Carolina under the bus. Um, and, and, and it's worth noting, there's some people who've mentioned, uh, Matt Doherty talks about conversations he had with Dean Smith, um, conversations he had with Dean Smith and Bill Guthridge. Both Dean Smith and Bill Guthridge have passed. So Matt Doherty's the only one who can, you know, there were three people at, at the table and he's the only one who's still alive to tell the tale. So he can kind of make up whatever he wants. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying I believe that, you know, that he's lying, but there are people who are saying he may not be telling the truth, but, but it's worth noting, like, he talks about a dinner he had with Smith and Guthridge where, where he was about to be, you know, he'd been hired and he goes to have dinner with the two former coaches, both of whom coached him. And he say they, they sat down and Dean Smith looks at him and says, you know, by the way, you are our fifth choice for this job. Like, a, you know, put him in his place right away. Like really mean. And he also says, that, I mean, I mean, yeah. didn't he already know that? I mean, there were shirts going around that said, I, I said no to Dean. Like this was a, this was a running gag and it was no secret that he was like, uh, he was one of the last people they called on the list. And he was like, one of the people was like, Oh, you want me to coach North Carolina? Yeah, sure. I could do that. Yeah. It, but he still says that this was one of Dean Smith's sort of, uh, I don't want to call it motivational, but one of, you know, the tactics, one of the, you know, the emotional tactics that Dean Smith would use with players all the time to, put them in their place. And what Doherty sort of says is maybe that wasn't the right way to like Doherty's about to take over the program, <laughs> putting him in his place may not have been the right way to empower him 
and, and make the program succeed. And of course, they, they didn't really succeed. And the other thing he talks about that I just thought was so stunning, he says when he got fired, Dean Smith called him up and said, you know, if you'd only won 20 games, I probably could have saved you, but you didn't win 20 games. And Doherty points out, Doherty's like, I won 19 games. Like one game, really? That's the, the reason you fired me is because of one game? I recommend folks out there read this article. Um, I think it provides some interesting insight into the Carolina program 20 years ago, but still interesting insight into our, our chief rival. Of course, it comes at a time when UNC is going through some major turmoil. Dayron Sharp announced today that he's declaring for the draft. Walker Kessler has already said he's transferring. Uh, look, if, if Duke's dealing with some transfers with Jamin Brakefield, Carolina's got it like times four. It, there's going to be, a, and there's going to be a lot more. Everyone says that this Carolina team, there's talk that they could lose like six, seven, eight players off this team. I'm not going to react too strongly to th- <laughs> this whole thing. First of all, Matt Doherty <laughs> hasn't been a part of the Carolina program for what, 18 years. And I also, th- I mean, I, I, again, we're, we're talking about history that I don't exactly remember. Like I, I was a, a fan then, but, but certainly wasn't like reading in depth into, into all that was going on here. I do know that Matt Doherty's players, who he recruited stuck around and won a national championship with Roy Williams a few years later. And that there's a, there is some weirdness to me again, being somewhat distant from it, that he doesn't get celebrated for that. But looking ahead at the current Carolina program, I'm not super concerned about them losing Dayron Sharp. I, I think I said when we either previewed or, or reviewed our, our second Carolina game this year. So that would have only been just a few weeks ago. I said, look, I don't care if it's Dayron Sharp or Walker Kessler or Armando Baycott or Ed Davis or Tyler Hansborough, whoever the heck. I know UNC is going to bring like four or five bigs next year and they're going to be really effective. It doesn't really matter who they are. Like Roy Williams is good at that. He'll bring guys back like unless unless Roy Williams is retiring, which, I, I you know, I, I don't think that's happening there, there. There certainly hasn't been any like really public scuttlebutt about that unless Roy Williams is retiring. Carolina is going to have four or five productive big men next year. They're going to get them from high school. They're going to get them from the transfer portal. They're going to get them from somewhere. So I, I feel confident that, that UNC is going to weather whatever storm is, is currently happening in their program. Maybe. May, I, I don't Maybe. know, man. I, uh, so here's this what is, I'll say about this is my, wait, wait. this is my immature uh, sober analysis against Jason's mature and drunk analysis. So <laughs> we'll, see, we'll, we'll, we'll see who holds up. So I, I will merely say, and we don't want to get into rumors too much, we we know for sure we like rumors, but we don't want to get into them. right. We know for sure that two of Carolina's big men are leaving. There is a lot of talk that Armando Baycott is also going to leave. That he's not satisfied with the way he was used in the program this year. There are some things going on on social media that give a lot of indications that Armando Baycott may not be thrilled at Carolina right now. That's three of their big men. Their fourth big man, um, Garrison Brooks, is a senior and graduated. Now he could decide to come back. We don't know if he's going to. And Carolina has not recruited any big men of note. Um, and there aren't really that many left that Carolina is in on, you know, still waiting to decide. Sam, you're, you're probably right. They'll probably get some great transfers, but they're going to have to. I am worried about UNC finding we'll big see. men. Like, Look, as, as we've said, as we've said the, the transfer portal this year and the, and the transfer market is going to be more active than ever. So I'll say this here then. I think UNC and Roy Williams are going to get two transfers that are at least coming from decent mid-major programs, either programs that we know are good teams or teams that that played well this year, if not getting them from high-major programs where guys are transferring because there are a lot of big men out there that would love to play in Roy Williams' system, even if it's not 
the most like NBA ready system. I think, you know, we heard a lot about that in the Walker Kessler news this week. There are lots of guys that are lining up to, to go play there. So I ain't worried about Carolina and that's a general statement. I ain't worried about Carolina in general. So, yeah, look, uh, going back to Matt Doherty, this is the only thing I got to say about that. I was there back in 2002 when he was the coach, he was the coach, uh, my freshman, sophomore and junior year at, at Carolina. Uh, sophomore year, 2002, they went eight and 20. They were so bad. Let me tell you, they are, <laughs> they were so bad. That UNC game, that was the last game of the season, right? It was an even-numbered year. That was senior night, quote-unquote, for Jay Williams and Carlos Boozer because we knew they were going to the NBA. And we just belt-stomped the crap out of that team. It was 93-68. Jay Will had 37 And points. it wasn't even hard to do. It wasn't even hard to beat it, him that. Look, Coach yeah. K got a technical that night for arguing, but I think he was just bored because UNC was that bad. Here's how bad Carolina was that, that year. After the game, the bonfire, right? One of the glorious traditions in Duke, in Duke lore, we have a bonfire after the UNC victory at home. The bonfire that night consists of someone lighting a Papa John's pizza box on fire. We kind of watched it light up, and then we went back to our drums. That's it. That's all I have to contribute to the story on Matt Doherty. He, he, he was not a good coach. I'm not really interested in all the dirt that he's dragging up because we knew they had problems. So I believe the timeline, someone checked me on this. I believe the timeline of the Carolina cheating scandal starts when Matt Doherty was the basketball coach. So if that's true, I'm not trying to hear what he has to say. Yeah, te- uh, technically, there's some people who tracked it back to Dean's days and it accelerated greatly under Roy. But but you're right. Um, there there's a lot of evidence that that it, it grew at least uh, a little bit more robust under Matt Doherty. Man, y'all remember when we started doing this podcast that we were the <laughs> Carolina uh, recruiting and and impermissible benefits and academics uh, scandal podcast? Yeah, those yes, were the, those were the days. That seems like eight years ago. But remember that 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 I actually <laughs> happened during the lifetime of this show. Speaking of this show. This will do it for episode 299 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We will be back sometime soon because if you can count, our next show is a huge one. Three hundo. We're almost there. We will hopefully have one of the all-time favorite guests make his return. We will also discuss the NCAA tournament. And we're really excited down the line about a guest that we are attempting to line up in a couple weeks. To make sure you don't miss that, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And as Sam has mentioned and Jason's mentioned on the podcast before. Please fill out the survey if you haven't already. Tinyurl.com slash DBR podcast survey. We really appreciate all the feedback we have received thus far. So enjoy the rest of the week. We will talk to you soon. For Jason and Sam, I am Donald. And now it is time for the Duke Band, since this is the Duke Basketball Report podcast, to take us home.